Scanning. Identity authorized. Welcome to the Secret Superhero Club Podcast Network. Welcome to the Animation Station Podcast, your home for discussions and debates about all things animation. Each week, we'll rank, review, and revel in animated shows from yesterday and today, and from around the world. So grab your acne slingshot, set your mobile suit to autopilot, and put on your mouse ears. The Animation Station Podcast begins now. Last chance for requests. Do you just want to see a Super Saiyan, or should I take it up to the next level? The higher-ups sure do take it easy. Makes you think we're on a pleasure line. Speaking of, where's Hughes? I don't like him out of sight. And while I find that orange head of yours disagreeable, I will ignore it for the moment. What I cannot ignore is a boy who would wear a girl's uniform to school. Don't be a fool. I have your woman, Panish. Her life depends on your decision. Open this gate, or she dies where she stands! You aren't able to see my power, so you feel secure. But it's everywhere, even in the air you breathe. Why don't you make things easier and submit? Who is this mysterious Saiyan warrior that now darkens the skies with his presence? Next time on Dragon Ball Z! Alright guys, we have a special guest today. Joining us is the extremely talented Kyle A. Bear. Hello! <laughs> Welcome, Kyle. We really appreciate you coming on and, and talking with us, and we're really excited to to hear what you have to say about what you do and and everything you love about it. And Josh, you want to kick it off? Yeah. Uh, well, first off, Kyle, um, tell us about yourself. Like, how did you get into voice acting? You know, everything like that. Sure. Well, uh, right now I'm a 47 year old man child, much like Kevin Smith, <laughs> who I'm a big fan of, and I actually do some voice work for his podcast. But uh, Nice. I, I got a start in an interest in voice acting as a young child. I was probably eight, nine years old, maybe even seven. I don't. And my dad would, you know, turn on Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes stuff on Saturday mornings or even on weekday mornings. And um, he told me that Mel Blank was this uh, gentleman mm-hmm. that uh, voiced all these classic characters. And I thought, wow, that that sounds like the coolest job in the world. So uh, even though I was like devastatingly shy and, and everything, I had a cassette recorder and a turntable back in the 70s. So I would sit there and pretend to have my own radio station and do parody commercials and silly voices and, and stuff. And I said, man, I, I really want to grow up and do this sort of thing. And I had an equal interest in radio broadcasting, too. And uh, the allure is that I can entertain and uh, inhabit the world of a character without people looking at me. You know, right, uh, right. helping that whole theater of the mind thing. I was also fascinated by uh, old school radio dramas, you know, Orson Welles fooling, you know, part of the country in 1938 with the Halloween War of the Worlds broadcast. And uh, absolutely the shadow and, 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 you know, things like that, you know, before uh, TV kicked on, you know, a lot of people on TV were radio stars first and foremost. And uh, mm-hmm. that was pretty fascinating. And I had. I uh, ended up getting a broadcast degree from University of North Texas right outside of Dallas, 
and got an internship with a radio network where I got to be a DJ. Uh, eventually, went from part time and then full time on Radio Disney uh, from 1996. Nice. So I got to be uh, on the ground level of uh, building that format and uh, being on the air doing a presentation that was very much akin to uh, Jim Carrey and Robin Williams if they had a, a child. So <laughs> just all over the place. I was writing and producing dr- radio dramas, doing character voice and everything. And then Dragon Ball Z comes along. And I had been reading about it in a, in a magazine that's now defunct called Animerica. And it seemed really interesting to me because I'd always liked anime, even before that was the term that was, that was referred to. You know, everything was just cartoons in the 70s, whether they brought over Speed Racer and dubbed it, or Star Blazers and Battle of the Planets, Robotech, and the first iteration of Voltron, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I loved growing up. And... Um, yeah, when Dragon Ball Z came along, that fascinated me because this was the first show that I'd really seen where characters, you know, might start off as children and then they grow up. You see their adventures, then they get married, then they have children, and they, you know, it's 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 something a dynamic you don't see in the likes of, say, Peanuts, Charlie Brown, or The Simpsons, Family Guy. Mm-hmm. Everyone just remains the same age. Everyone kind of same, yeah, same age the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, so I was intrigued by that, fell in love with it uh, before it was on Toonami. Dragon Ball Z was airing uh, the first two seasons over and over, basically, uh, in the Canadian English dub. And uh, Was I that the, to... the Blue Ocean one? Yeah, that is correct, yeah. 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 Or what is referred to as that, you know, Scott McHill yeah. swears there's no <laughs> such thing as the Ocean Group, but, uh, you know, that talent pool in Vancouver, you know, <laughs> call them what you will. <laughs> So, yeah, Scott McNeil was my first Piccolo, and Brian Drummond was my first Vegeta, and there's like four or five different uh, Gokus. <laughs> right. It's like Peter Columbus and Kirby Murrow and, and Ian, Ian uh, you know, and, so, and then Sean Schemmel, of course, in Texas when they took over in 99. Fast forward to the, the summer of 2000. My radio station hears about uh, marketing promotion stuff, and they say, "Hey, Kyle, we know you. You're dying to do voice acting. Guess what? This this big company here in town, Funimation, has a open uh, casting call." They're like, "Whoa, dream come true!" <laughs> <laughs> so I went in, tried out for Gohan, the the high school version, and uh, they hired me immediately. Pretty much like two weeks later, I was doing bit part voices because of the lip sync issue. You know, you gotta. Oh, yeah. Got to be able to act and take direction and, of course, match the lip sync, which is a technical skill that not all actors can really handle. And I guess I faked them out enough. You know, I didn't really have an acting background. <laughs> but they did consider Radio Disney a good a good format for that since I was doing mm-hmm. character-oriented stuff there with radio dramas and being on the air and whatnot. So uh, that was awesome. Um, yeah, and then I got to take over the role of Gohan from Stephanie Nadolny at the time when the character grew up and was going to high school. Then next thing you know, I'm, I become the narrator too. I inherit that role. And then I take over Ox King and we start doing Dragon Ball and uh, just went all from there. Just kind of a big domino effect. Dragon Ball Z opened a lot of doors for a lot of different shows. Oh, nice. Now, do you, now you said you were a fan of anime before. Do you have a a favorite anime that you used to watch or anything when you were growing up, or even just like a favorite like cartoon show or anything like that? Well, in terms of anime, when I grew up, when I was probably five, six, seven years old, it was all about Speed Racer. And then this little mm-hmm. independent movie called Star Wars comes out and shapes the, the, the future of pop culture in the late 70s. 
and then there was a mad dash to license Japanese shows uh, for the U.S. And you know, of course, they butchered the original translations and made everything mm-hmm. sci-fi oriented to to hook the Star Wars fans. So they took, you know, an action-oriented show, Gotcha Man, and redubbed it with uh, you know Casey Kasem and, and some other great voice talent in the '70s to to turn it into a Star Wars sci-fi type universe. And uh, I fell in love with that. That was Battle of the Planets, as it was known back then. And uh, we had Star Blazers, which was, you know, Battleship Yamato uh, brought over to the States. Uh, yeah. Again, cashing in on the whole space phenomenon, sci-fi. When I got to high school in the early 80s, Robotech and Voltron came along. And, uh, you know, in the late 80s, the world turned upside down for Akira, or as we all call it, mm-hmm. Akira. totally yeah yeah i fell in love with things like um before there was a glut of vampire anime i i loved vampire hunter d this was before even helsing Uh, oh yeah that is good i've seen that yeah Uh, yeah and bloodlust the just beautiful animated movie that came out in english as its original language what (laughs) and yeah it just all through the years a lot of these shows really really just just entrenched me in, uh, mm-hmm. in in the enjoyment, the fascination of the art form is that, you know, of course the animation is beautiful. It's far more textured and detailed. And, of course, the characters and the storytelling, you know, they, they really are uh, much more com- uh, complex and, and, and thoroughly engrossing in a way that uh, uh, a lot of people that don't give anime a fair crack, you know, they'll just say, oh, it's just right. it's nerdy and weird. It's like, no, come on, you got to give it a shot. I mean, anime has a huge um, influence on American animation. Batman, the animated series of the 90s, was definitely took a big anime uh, thing. And, of course, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Uh, yeah, and you go with Teen Titans now. Absolutely. I mean, that's basically an anime, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And cool. you got uh, Puffy, uh, what is it, Ami and Yumi to do the intro for it, which is like straight Japanese. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I've, I've had different favorites through the years. Cowboy Bebop is one of those I try to turn non-anime fan friends to. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. watch this show. I mean, even if you don't like anime, you're going to fall in love with the characters and the stories. And, hey, it's all self-contained, basically, in every episode. So just pop mm-hmm. one in and watch it. Just see what you think. Um, another great one's Full Metal Alchemist, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, you can hook a lot of people. Just great stories right from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, well, interestingly enough, we actually kicked off our podcast, our premiere episode. We did the Cowboy Bebop movie as our discussion point. So fantastic! We're big fans of that one. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good starter anime for a lot of people. I think it, it's what got me interested in anime in the first place. So good, good. Yeah, everyone needs that uh, that gateway drug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. definitely, definitely. So, Kyle, I want to ask you a little bit about your method, I guess, because, you know, not coming from an acting background and jumping into this world of voice acting, like, how do you approach a role? How do you prepare for it? Uh, You know, what kinds of things do you do to step into a character? Well, I don't really have a technique, per se, because, again, I didn't come from an acting background. Mine started at broadcasting. But I've, I've taken acting classes since then, and I know there's different techniques to, to all that. I kind of just zone in, and I'm used to the interesting challenge during the audition process where basically you're given one piece of paper, or nowadays, of course, it's just on your computer or iPad, 
uh, a piece mm-hmm. of copy that shows, you know, some different lines of dialogue that show a range of emotion. Maybe there's like one or two pictures of the character and a paragraph that summarizes, you know, basically everything the actor absolutely needs to know about that character, you know, how they fit into the story and all that. Uh, dare I say some audition copy has tells you too much, honestly. You know, it's like, you don't really have to know the, the dynamics, like you're reading a, a book or, or watching a movie. You don't have to know everything that happens when you're trying out for a character. You just need to know, I need to dial into that particular character. What does he look like? What is his disposition? You know, what, what does he do for a living? What, you know, uh, is he really refined and intelligent or is he like kind of rough around the edges? You know, is he battle-worn or is he just kind of like a newbie and naive and ignorant? You know, you, you, you can kind of sense, get a sense of that from the audition copy, which are all from, you know, plucked from different scenes in the series. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when you're doing the audition, it's kind of just a a quick compilation, you know, saying, can this actor we've never heard before, or maybe have, and think he might be good for this role, you know, are they able to, to give a consistent performance and, you know, portray anger or neutrality or happiness or, or whatnot, you know, a, a lot of video games now will, will ask for fight reactions and death screams and power-up yells and all that on top of uh, the lines of, that show the range of emotion, too. So I have just learned, you know, basically trial by fire through the years, just be used to that fun challenge of cold reading, you know, and uh, using improv uh, to help kind of build a character. Now, when you go in, like, uh, when they give you your, you know, kind of like your basic outline, um, do you try to relate to your character any? Like, do you try to get in their head or... Oh, yeah, yeah. You try to to, uh, kind of inhabit their space, absolutely. See where they're coming from. Now, I know a lot of method actors will, will try to you know, themselves just like, I am that character, and they they live and breathe Mm -hmm. it and just annoy their friends. (laughs) But (laughs) I can't do that. I mean, I break character the second the take's over, and then me and the director are usually cracking jokes and and all that. But everyone is is so professional and wonderfully talented in this business. Everyone from the writers to the engineers, the directors, uh, the post-producers, everyone on every side of the mic, and and uh, the creators, of course, bringing shows such as anime uh, to a worldwide audience for us to have this wonderful opportunity to bring it to a to an English-speaking audience. Um, kind of going off of that, with this growing, you know, market for voice actors, do you find it's harder to land roles now, or do they just kind of go off your body of work? They're like, oh yeah, we know he's Gohan and Kamina. He, we've got him. Or, like, like, how does that resume type thing work? Well, believe it or not, there actually isn't necessarily a lot of momentum based on someone's resume. That will help raise an eyebrow, perhaps, with a casting person when they're saying, well, does this person have any experience, you know? And Mm -hmm. they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and bring him in and and, and read him for something. Or nowadays, most talents are expected to be able to record from home. Um so, yeah, I, I've noticed that even though having these great things on the resume, I, it's not like the, the, all the doors open up and suddenly I'm, I'm super established and working all the time. Absolutely not. I mean, the, the <laughs> eye-opening mythbuster uh, uh, truth about this, this occupation is there's not a lot of fortune. Uh, maybe fame to a degree in the convention circuit. And of course, thanks to social media, we're able to connect with fans and on the convention circuit and everything. Um, but not on not on the huge level of movie and TV celebrity dumb. I mean, it's it's shy of that. But yes, it's 
absolutely competitive and uh but it's not as competitive as the on-camera world you know think about it uh Mm -hmm. someone that wants to do acting uh uh, on stage or on camera they are hired not only based on their activity but for their looks and it's so much more freeing to look any way you want and have that not be a determining factor you know it's like can this person be believable in their performance uh, and you know, by God, I could sit there in my underwear or at the session, just, just look all scraggly and not shave for four days. And, and who cares? Because no one's seeing me except the engineer and the director. I mean, yeah, of course we have nice hygiene and we do that, but I mean, conceivably, you know, <laughs> they're not going to make those decisions based on, well, we'll hire Kyle because he's a stud. It's like, no, no voice actors don't typically look like their roles. <laughs> <laughs> Now, is there any, like, have you, I know there's some bleed through, like, with some, you know, kind of, like, more Hollywood-esque actors coming in and doing a lot of voiceovers, because I had, I've been, I had heard on some other podcasts where, you know, you would have somebody come in and they would take a role away from someone who is, like, you know, that is their career as a voice actor. Has that happened to you or anything close to that, or have you... Not had the fortune of that happen yet. Uh, I don't know why I said that. not had the fortune. That's a weird way to put that. Or the misfortune, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a controversial kind of point of contention with people that do this for a living that aren't from the on-camera world. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. saying, especially for the people that work in animation and voiceover for our video games, we're saying, hey, you know, people don't go see these things based on a name. I get it for live-action movies, and Hollywood, of course, is justified in helping get a name uh, attached to, to help sell it and, and market it and everything and build an audience. I totally appreciate that. But with animation, especially things that are geared towards families or, or little kids, you think they're going to care that they got celebrities on, on Shrek? And, and, you know, and what a waste <laughs> of money when you think about it. I mean, not that their performances mm-hmm. are necessarily bad, but is Cameron Diaz's performance in that worth $25 million? I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, this whole love affair with celebrities kind of rebirthed in the early 90s when Robin Williams was hired on Aladdin, and he was given a mere pittance. I think $75,000, which is a lot of money to you and I, but given the amount that, you know, a big monolith corporation like Disney has, they they ended up, you know, settling because he did sue them for a while. Say, hey, man, you guys are making bank off this. (laughs) <laughs> and then you've had so many uh, failed experiments where they spent all these millions of dollars to get names and then the story or the performance was just not mm-hmm. there and the audience wasn't like, there. Yeah, like Beowulf with Angelina. Right, yeah, beautifully that animated flop. and everything. Yeah, it yeah. looked nice, but it was just, ugh. Yeah, you even had Neil Gaiman, you know, one of my favorite comic book authors, uh, do that screenplay for it. But uh, <laughs> alas, you can't necessarily catch lightning in a bottle even with all the A names attached to it. Um, So, yeah, um, I have worked on what are called scratch tracks for projects where the producers are very honest um, from the get-go, and they'll say, we're just recording these voice tracks as reference point for the animators. We're going to seek out Mm -hmm. celebrity casts, so you will not be Uh, heard in the final mix. But they'll still pay us uh, for our, our time. So mm-hmm. I've had that happen several times. So, of course, I'm not insulted. The producers were, were very straightforward about that. And uh, 
you know, people usually ask me what's my favorite thing that I've ever done, and I'll say, hey, man, Wreck-It Ralph. I got to be my character Ryu from Street Fighter on that because I was <laughs> Ryu in Street Fighter. You know, Disney yeah. surpassed, thank God for Rich Moore and the writers. Uh, they they said, hey, let's get the original voice talent because we're gaming fans. We know the fans want to hear that original voice. They're not going to want to hear Tom Cruise as Sonic and all that stuff. You know, <laughs> let's not stunt cast. And that was the right thing to do. People love that story, that movie. And um, I was just like, you know, pinching myself forever that I was like, oh my, holy crap, I got to be on a Disney movie. Uh, and they came to me because I was this, I just happened to be that character in that game. And Yay for cameos, man. <laughs> now, is it That's easier amazing. doing a voice for, like, a, a character in a video game, or is it easier when you actually have, you know, an actual, like, anime or movie like that you're going to be story. doing? Yeah, like an actual story, instead of just kind of doing, like, efforts. Well, I mean, with anime dubs, of course you see the final animation done right in front of you. Uh, the downside, of course, is they can't shift and alter the animation to fit your performance. You have to make your mm. performance fit into the animation. With mm. cartoons, the animation's not done yet, so you have a little more wiggle room, but you don't see what the characters look like necessarily. You might see a sketch or something, but the animation's going to take place over Korea or something over a year or two, or maybe three or four years even. I remember recording for Marvel's um, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. I recorded as Super Scroll for like one episode. And then three years later, the episode finally airs on Disney XD. Wow. <laughs> and they didn't show yeah. me a picture of the character. They just said, this is a Marvel canon character, so feel free to Google it and look up you know, some reference mm -hmm. points. And uh, I just, okay, I have no idea what he looks like, but I sort of know. And they kind of Yeah, look, look up a character who was last drawn in the 70s, you know. Yeah. We'll completely change him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, when they, when they always try... You think of writers pitching movies and TV ideas in the in the studio, and they always say, "Oh, it's Die Hard on a boat." They'll you know they'll say, "Okay, uh, <laughs> Super Scroll is Space Hulk." I'm like, "Okay, all right, I got that. Let's just go with a really really basic sort of." Okay, this guy screams a lot. He has he's rage issues. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I was, but it's so much more fun to record an animated uh, a, a domestic animated thing, a cartoon, or an animated movie. Because you have your whole cast there, or at least part of the cast. Everyone is there in the same room, kind of like doing a radio drama, scene by scene, playing off each other's performance. You get to watch everyone else perform and screw up. <laughs> and it's hilarious, nice. especially oh. if it's a comedy. You know, you get to watch geniuses at work, you know, take, lift the words off the page and give them, you know, take one. And then they make it even funnier and take two or three. And then everyone's just crying, laughing. It's just... It's just magic, and you can't believe that you're getting paid to do something like that. But with video games, too, that's also a solo effort, just like with dubbing. Uh, for a different technical reason, though. With animation, you have to match the visual lip sync. And in mm -hmm. video games, you have to match the audio sync of the Japanese audio track. Or, uh, yeah, you, again, you don't have a visual reference. The animation's not done yet. Uh, so basically, you're looking at an Excel spreadsheet or a Word document uh, up on a on a screen, or maybe an iPad, uh, or if it's a paper script, then it's it is this huge three ring binder. You know, I recorded for Guild Wars two a few years back, and the entire script for the game was in like five phone book sized binders, just loaded with scripts and wow. characters. 
I had three non-playable characters with tons of dialogue. I mean, that <laughs> took so long to record that every six months I'd have a new four-hour session to come back to these characters. And luckily, they, mm -hmm. they keep a reference track. It's like, okay, today you're playing your characters you did six months ago, and like, first world problem, oh, you work so much you forget what they they sound like. Well, they'll play you the sample. <laughs> and it's like, here, repeat and repeat. I'm like, okay, I'm back in, the, I'm back in this uh, ogre thing or this... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The crazy drill sergeant or whatever it takes. And you're doing like three takes of each line for a video game and you just do the dialogue first and then the fight and effort and screams last because that's the stuff that really shreds your vocal cords. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you talked a minute ago about, you know, those experiences of, you know, comedians and, and acting together and it it getting really funny and fun in the studio. Do you have any good, funny stories that have happened while recording, either bloopers or jokes or pranks played on each other or anything, any fun stories like that? I don't remember necessarily a particular instance other than like, yeah, man, if you have gas and you go in the booth and you try to like sneak, <laughs> to do a one cheek sneak, those microphones are so sensitive, man. They'll hear everything. Oh and my the God. engineers will use that as blackmail, you know, basically. It's like, <laughs> oh, he farted. Uh. And you're in this, you know, uh, this little confined space or right. it's, you know, it's usually like, you know, muffled and, and airtight and everything. So you let one go, <laughs> you're going to stew in your own f smell for a while take a while to dissipate oh, and of great. course we don't we, we do cold reads of this stuff unless it's like a cartoon script and you might get it ahead of time with anime and games you're not seeing this stuff until the second you're in this in in there so you have to have great cold reading skills the director's basically telling you what's happening there in the session maybe take a minute or two to catch you up to speed then you're off and running so you're seeing these lines for the first time you're performing them trying to make it sound natural and of course we make you know, tons of bloopers and F-bombs and all this stuff and outtakes that never see the light of day, usually because they're so X-rated, you know? <laughs> right, but right. Sometimes, if you're lucky, you'll attend a Comic-Con panel or an Anime Con and maybe some actor or director has managed to smuggle some outtakes just for a panel there or play some at an 18-plus panel. <laughs> it's like, nobody record this. This will take our jobs away. Let's totally blow these takes. Nice. Yeah. So a little while ago, you talked about uh, the character you were on Wreck-It Ralph when you played Ryu. It, do you is he is that your favorite character that you voiced, or do you have another like real favorite that you've done? Well, I love being uh, the narrator and Gohan on Dragon Ball mm -hmm. Z because those things really open doors for me in terms of voice acting and getting on the mm -hmm. convention circuit. I, I've been so fortunate not only to do something I've wanted to do since I was a kid, but be, but break into the industry on a show I'm already a huge fan of. And then suddenly I get to travel the world and get the rock star treatment, man. It, it's wow. like so amazing. to I am so blessed. To, to, to do this and get to meet with the fans, hang out with them, see the world, eat amazing food, see amazing places. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just so, so cool and flattering. And I never, never imagined that wonderful side effect of, of having positives, uh, you know, affecting people in some positive way, whether it's just simple entertainment or maybe helping them through depression or, or dealing with real life struggles and uh, 
you know, I've heard from, you know, everything from Make-A-Wish people to soldiers stationed uh, abroad, man, saying playing wow. the game or watching your shows, hearing your performance helped get me through a tough time or a loss of a friend or a family member or or whatnot. It's like, or your character was so inspiring, it led me to my career choice. And, of course, you meet tons of 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 people with 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 the lights in their eyes that are they're super passionate and and interested in voiceover or getting involved mm-hmm. in some sort of creative realm whether it's art or writing directing producing audio production engineering all sorts of stuff it, it's so great to to see that spur off of something that we get to be a part of that's awesome now uh, is, is there a, is there a show that like really just kind of touches you like that that you voiced on or that people, you know, constantly come up to you and ask about? Is, is it DBZ? Well, DBZ, of course, is, is still a big thing because Super, of course, mm-hmm. now is yeah. airing on Toonami. We got Kai the Final Chapters, so we're, we're giving people something they've been waiting for for a long time. Um, it's not just that, but I tell you something through the years that I never thought I mean, I knew it was cool and very inspirational, but I had no idea that it would affect so many lives. It is Gurren Lagann with, with comedy. Oh, yeah. that's Oh, man. Episode 8. It's, it's it wrenches your heart out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was misty-eyed in the booth because they told me when I got the character, they said, don't get too uh, too thrilled because he's not in the all-soul series. You know, he's going <laughs> to... Spoiler alert! He's going he's gonna to go take a dirt nap for a while. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> so yeah, when I when I saw how well written it was, and, and just a, a great character piece, all the characters. I mean, just a show that that defies just being oh, it's just a mecha show or whatever. It's like no, no, it's so much deeper than that. I mean, it's it's so much you know fun and, and everything, but what an inspirational character and what an honor to get to play that in English. Uh, it, it's unreal. So that one's made a made a huge difference for so many people I've met on the convention scene, and I'm I'm really pleased I got to perform that. Yeah, that's like that's what I was thinking. Like when I when I first uh, saw that you were going to be on, I was like, oh my gosh, we got Kamina. Like probably one of my all time favorite anime characters. Oh, fantastic! And I see cosplayers around the world doing Gurren Lagann. A lot of Kamina, a lot of Simone, a lot of you know uh, Yoko. Everybody. Every everyone, yeah. everywhere. This this show has affected things in, in in every walk of life, and I've I've sent so many autographs on the big you know Team Gurren logo, you know the big wall. Yeah, band. Mm-hmm. That I was I'm contemplating getting that like as a tattoo. Like that's probably going to be what I'm going with on on the shoulder. I was like, I really want that so much, dude. I just I mean, it's it such too. a part of my childhood. Yeah, and I, I thought about that too because it's so awesome looking. Even if you don't know what it is, it's just a really striking. Yeah, image. it still looks cool. Yeah, it's like a half skull with glasses. Yeah, exactly. It's freaking dope. <laughs> now, who was first? I guess Charizard was first. Now, did the makers of Gurren Lagann <laughs> watch Pokemon and decide to lift <laughs> or Squirtle's glasses? Uh, Charizard. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I would, I would think so. Yeah, Squirtle would have been first. Yeah. Squirtle, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's where Kamina got him from. Like before he went underground, he was like, "Hey, Squirrel, I need these. Thanks." <laughs> that's right, and I, and, I, and yeah. I go through, uh, you know, my worlds mesh together because it's like, okay, so he's got Squirtle's glasses, and then eventually I got to become a younger Professor Oak on Pokemon. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, in the origins, right? Origins, yeah. 
and then a couple new guys uh, on the YouTube series Generations. So it's like, wow, I <laughs> I've been in a lot of uh, a lot of things that mean a lot to a lot of people. I mean, that could, <laughs> that seems like it'd be very stressful because that's that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> right, right. But man, it's so, so much fun. So Kyle, if you were to survey the landscape of anime and animation, sure, and look at shows or movies that you haven't worked on, is there something out there that you're drooling to get on? Some show that you really want to be a part of, or some character that you'd love to get the chance to voice? I, I want to do more super superhero stuff. Definitely, I've gotten to in the game okay. realm and a little bit for the Marvel stuff that's not airing anymore, but. Um, Man, I could die happy if I got to do something in a Batman cartoon. It wouldn't even have to be Batman. Oh, nice. Because Kevin Conroy is Batman. I don't want to be compared yeah. to Batman. <laughs> um, Maybe like a Shazam type character? Any, any, honestly. I mean, I'm not DC or Marvel. I'd be like, everything. I'm greedy. <laughs> I'm like, Whatever, man. I want to do it all. Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. So I would. I've tried out for Clone oh, Wars. Cool. That never happened. I tried out for Rebels. I'm still crossing my fingers. I'm friends with yeah. Steve Bloom, so hopefully maybe <laughs> nice. he's gotten the producers to like listen to my auditions faster, <laughs> which I'm very, very <laughs> thankful for. But it hasn't been meant to be just yet. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to my guns, though. If I could even be a, a blip on the Star Wars universe radar, if it's just mm-hmm. bit part voices on the, on the movies or, or the cartoons... Getting to work with uh, Andrea Romano, who directed a lot of the Arkham games in the Batman animated series and stuff. She's a legend. She's on the verge of uh, uh, retiring. And it's like, no, no, don't take my bucket list director away. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kyle. One movie that's out there on the horizon for us that we are incredibly excited about is the movie that has taken many other countries by storm already, and we're waiting for it to come here, and that's Your Name. Mm. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about your experience on that movie? I was, well, uh, like I was describing what the session is like, I was only learning then, uh, or when I first saw the audition copy, what basically the the plot was, and, and during my mm-hmm. session, which was over the course of two sessions, uh, working with uh, Stephanie Shea uh, directing me, and uh, hearing that that this was such a huge project, and it's like, oh mm-hmm. man, I gotta. I mean, I always try to bring 110 percent because th- this is my profession, man. I have a strong work ethic, and I always want to give my all and make sure that the the fans are getting something worthy in English to to match the Japanese counterpart. And uh, seeing the press after recording the show is, is really where I thought, oh my god, this thing stands to make. I mean. You know, it's already busted records in Japan. Is now what the number yeah. one anime of all number time? Number one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now with April, <laughs> we've got this big theatrical release in sub and dub, uh, thanks yeah. to Funimation. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty stoked. Uh, I, I've heard that is it's a very emotional, sentimental sort of story. And uh, Stephanie and um, Mike Sinner Nicholas, who, who uh, I've worked both with both of them on, on Gundam Unicorn in the past and some other shows, have both, uh, they, they've been just applauding. They just love the performances in there. And I was uh, so appreciative and, and beyond flattered to, to, to be on something that, that, that is poised to, to really, really strike with a big fandom. Yeah, we're, we're 
we can't hardly wait, man. We yeah, are like, just I, I remember when it filled first with came anticipation. Out, like when it first came out, I read a little bit about it mm-hmm. because it was one of those where it's like, oh well, it's it's a new anime film. We're not gonna get it for two years because that's usually the turn. Like that used to be like a, a ways ago. That that was the turnaround mm-hmm. where we wouldn't get anything for a while. But Funimation has like really stepped up everything like with all their simul dubs so stuff is premiering in japan and we're getting it like two weeks later fully dubbed first episodes it's it's fantastic i think between the simul dubs and how well dragon ball the last two movies did in theatrical release even a limited theatrical release made a lot of money it was like number five at the box office when it came Mm -hmm. out and sold-out screenings and everything. It's also opened up the doors for other titles to get limited screenings. You know, Sailor Moon, Naruto, some things through Fathom Events, uh, and, you know, premieres and all sorts of stuff that um, I didn't really think was going to be a thing. I thought anime was pretty much just going to be relegated to home video and and Cartoon Network. But uh, reaching uh, theaters, and, and of course, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing really beats being in a house full of other fans and everyone cheering and and getting into the emotion of the characters and story i mean the 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 electricity in the air is is so hard to replicate yeah i agree with that and it's cool to see anime grow and become more and more mainstream you know on this podcast uh josh here is the anime guy and he's well versed and well experienced in it yeah whereas me i'm still trying to learn that world i come from much more of a feature animation background and you know anime is something that i'm i'm still trying to discover but it's cool that opportunities like that are so much more readily available now and you know companies like funimation and crunchyroll and you know others are just making that so possible to to get into something that can seem very daunting from the outside if you've never really you know dipped your toe into that pool well yeah and if you grow up on a a, on a steady diet of cartoons you quickly Mm -hmm. see how different a culture the the way that anime tells its stories and everything you Mm -hmm. know it you know what we would consider a climax you know builds to this big epic thing they usually are you know done very differently in Japan and, and stories that mm-hmm. that would be done differently here. Now, you know, then you have the hybrid thing where shows and titles like Ghost in the Shell, you know, Hollywood takes a, a crack at it. Yeah. Sure, they're going to Hollywoodize, you know, that and have <laughs> big, big action scenes and, you know, stuff that maybe in the in the series, you know, that was more heady and more ethereal and 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 not necessarily a big action set piece but you know so far i think translating anime into live action of course has not yielded positive results (laughs) (laughs) agree man the the only good like representation i've seen of a live action anime was probably the newest uh roni kenshin i've heard wonderful things about that yeah but everything else not so oh god that uh, that attack on titan Oh man, that was a that was a disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I don't know that Full Metal Alchemist is going to be all that much better, you know. Yeah, if maybe maybe it's it's a hope thing. It's a hope. Like the same thing with uh, Sword Art, because I think they were trying to make that into like an actual series instead of a movie. 
Oh, so okay. Like I a mini series. If, if you do it like that, you know, you have you can delve into characters more mm-hmm. instead of trying to cram everything into, you into know, one movie. What ninety minutes? Yeah. Yeah, and and then of course there's also the uphill battle of video game interpretations into live action. You know, Assassin's Creed just crashed and burned. Yeah. It's hard to name a really enthralling, fantastic, classic video game movie. I mean, Resident Evil's cheesy and fun and all, but... Uh, yeah, maybe maybe the first Resident Evil was kind of close. I, I suppose. <laughs> kind of? I like the atmosphere in Silent Hill movie, but uh, they, they kind of veered off. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh man. Oh Kyle, this has been great. I mean, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you guys, and uh, I am so grateful to fans around the world and your listeners that uh, continue to, to help anime thrive in uh, our culture, and especially with the political times as they are, we need escapist entertainment. So uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Kyle, yeah, we again, we just want to say a big thank you uh, from us and our and our listeners. And where can our listeners find you on social media? And, you know, maybe if you're going to be in any conventions coming up, like where can they where can they see Kyle? All right. Well, my last name is pronounced a bear, but it is spelled H-E-B-K-Y-L-E-H-E-B-E-R-T. KyleAbear.com for convention appearance updates and project updates as well. Uh, my social cool. media is at Kyle Bear on Twitter and Instagram, and I have a fan page on Facebook.com slash Kyle Bear VO. And uh, I'm really, really active on Twitter and to a lesser degree on Facebook, but, uh, you know, I, I love Twitter and Instagram. I love social media, and uh, I'm thankful that it's that out there. I eat it up. I'm a big tech nerd and love <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> That's great. We'll, we'll make sure we'll have links in our posts to all of those as well. Thank you. Um, so our fans can connect with you if they aren't already. All right. Yep. Awesome. Look forward to hearing from everyone. And Gavin, where can everybody find you? Well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Gavin Audison Art. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Josh L. Kane. You can follow the show on Twitter at Animate Podcast and on Instagram at Animation Station Podcast. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Animation Station Podcast and We've got that Tumblr. That the just, Tumblr's out it's, there. It's still it's there. It just does its thing, you know. <laughs> you can also go to the website. The website is animationstationpodcast.com. You can listen to our episodes there or on iTunes and Stitcher. All right. Again, Kyle, thanks so much. We will, like, we'll have you on whenever you want to talk about anything, man. Rock and roll, sir. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. All For right. the Animation Station Podcast, I'm Josh. I'm Gavin. Bye, everybody. ba boom Thank you for listening to the Animation Station Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Animation Station Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Animate Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And join the conversation at SecretSuperheroClub.com, where you can connect with our podcast friends, Cloud City Cast, Getting Into Comics, and Sean of the Gathering. 